season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Bill F. was recorded on September 21st, 2023. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Um, it's a privilege to be able to share my story with all of you, and thank you so much for asking me to do that. Uh, my name is Bill, uh, the heck, Bill Flanoy. <laughs> <laughs> and I am a fellow traveler and an adult child. Uh, let me start my timer. Okay. So uh, I've been in recovery now for 30 years um, through all the different programs. I came in through AA, uh, went to Al-Anon, and then came to ACA. It took me a little while to find ACA, but I am so glad I did. So um, let me let me start my story from the very beginning because this is basically about childhood trauma, and I did not realize at the time when I got sober. But I was always aware of the trauma of my childhood, and I thought the way I thought I thought that trauma made you stronger, and I thought that if everyone went through trauma, that'd be a good thing. How wrong I was. I did not realize just because I had knowledge of the trauma that I thought the knowledge in itself was enough to protect myself against the trauma affecting me as an adult or as a child. And it was the exact opposite. It controlled my behavior going forward. Everything that happened, everything I did was based on the trauma from my childhood. Either, be, either I reacted to it or I became it, one or the other. Um, my childhood was a mess. I, I basically checked every single box in the trauma category. Uh, I had a violent, alcoholic stepfather. And um, he was probably the, the cause of a lot of my trauma. I, I guarantee he was. Um, because he was an alcoholic, he basically did not know how to hold down a job. He was very bad with money. Uh, he was abusive to my mother. He used to beat her all the time. Um, and uh, he was also a womanizer and cheated on her all the time. Matter of fact, I caught him a couple of times with women in our home sleeping with him because you know, I would just walk in on him and he would call, you know, it's a secretary or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know. And I didn't tell my mom what was going on because I was trying to protect her. Anyway, childhood was uh, pretty much of a mess. Um, Mom was always worried about my father, so she really didn't have any time to pay attention to me. She was always dealing with what was going on with him. It was always about him. You know, um, he would come in and it was like, where, who is the guy coming in today? Is he angry? Is he happy? Is he sober? Is he drunk? Um, you know, whatever the case may be, it was all prefaced on what he was doing. And uh, nine out of 10, oops, excuse me. Sorry about that. My AC just came on and it's still on. <laughs> okay, there it's off. 
Um, so what I learned uh, was I, I, I was the good kid. I would never do anything that would cause my mother a problem. I behaved myself. I was, I was, I was invisible. I was invisible. Okay. And that was my goal to be invisible so that she had one less thing to worry about. And I also learned to look at Charles. I, when Charles came in, it was like, I learned how to read him. And in doing so, I learned how to read other people because I need to protect myself against him. You know, if I knew there was trouble, you know, sometimes I tried to, to lighten the situation so he wouldn't go after my mother. And sometimes I just ran and hit, depending on how bad things were. Um, throughout my childhood, okay, I'm keeping an eye on my timer here. Throughout my childhood, other things started to happen. Because he was so bad with money, very rarely were we in any one place for very long. We were always moving from place to place to place. So I had no stability, no security, nothing. So what would happen basically is um, both him and my mother worked. So I was a latch latchkey kid. So what would happen is I'd be the first person home to the house. And when I was the first person home to the house, I had to deal with whatever emergency was happening. The electricity was off. The phone was off. There was an eviction notice on the door. The door was locked and I couldn't get in. You know, to change the locks, whatever the case may be. And I was the first person that had to deal with it, you know, and I learned at a young age, you know, seven, eight, to call mom up to let her know what was going on so that she could be prepared to come home. You know, if the electricity was off, she would go out and buy a couple bags of ice to put in the fridge to make sure the food wouldn't go bad. You know, if the phone was off, you know, she would try to, you know, figure out how to call the phone company from work to see if they could keep the phone on because it was an emergency and they had a child. When I came home as an eviction notice, you know, depending on where we were with the eviction notice, first I would take the eviction notice down so no one the neighbors would see it. And if in the worst case scenario, if I came home and the door was locked, depending if it was an apartment complex, I would find who the landlord was or whoever the, the, the uh, super, super was, super was. And I would say, listen, I need to get in the house because I need to get clothes for school. I need to get my stuff for school and they would let me in. And if I could sneak to get jewelry and stuff like that, I would do that. But basically as a child, that's what I was learning how to do. When things got really bad, what they would do is they would take you to my grandmother's house and drop me off. Just leave me there. Sometimes they would leave me for a week. Sometimes it was a couple of months. The longest time they left me there without any contact with my mother was two years. Talk about abandonment issues, you know, because as a child, I thought it was about me, that I had done something wrong, that I was the bad person, that they were leaving me there because I had done something wrong. So I had to fend for myself. I was out there with strangers, you know, my grandmother's house was a safe place, but she's not my mother. She's not my father. She's someone who's a caretaker and she's got her own stuff going on, you know, and, um, you know, it just, it did a lot of damage. But one of the things I learned very quickly was I couldn't depend on anyone to take care of me. I had to, to take care of myself. 
because there was no one else around. There was no one else I could count on. There was no one else that was dependable that would always be there to take care of me. And I learned that from a very early age. So, you know, at some point, you know, one of the things that help alleviate the fear and all that stuff is alcohol, you know. And the other thing that happened to me, and I, I don't mean to do this, but I'll just touch on this very quickly because I know it's a trigger for some people. Um, I was desperate for a mother, desperate for a mother figure. So I was looking for surrogate mothers to take the place of my mom. And what would happen is healthy women would understand that I was a lonely child looking for a mother. Unhealthy women thought something else. And that was another check on the box. Um, I didn't voluntarily lose my virginity until I was 21 because by the time I got to that point, I was terrified of women. I always knew that men were dangerous. I never knew that women were dangerous too. And that's enough about that. So um, graduated school, um, went out to the world and just screwed up and totally. I had no concept of how to live my life in the real world. As a matter of fact, one of the things I knew how to do was sabotage because when things were going bad, I knew what to do. I was trained to do it. So I would sabotage anything that was going well because nothing ever went well as a child. There's always going to be something that's going to happen. So I just learned to sabotage my life because I knew what to do in a crisis knew what to do in the crisis, but I did not know what to do when things were going well. It scared me because nothing ever went well for a long time as a child. So I felt uncomfortable. It didn't feel right. I knew what felt right. Chaos, drama, craziness. That I knew. So things went on for a while and I started drinking and all that stuff. And the other thing I didn't know how to do is have a relationship. I didn't know what a healthy relationship was. Clueless. I knew. I thought fighting was passion, and that meant you loved the person, you know. But I also knew that my father hurt my mother. He used to beat her brutally. And I remember once when I was 16 years old, skinny little kid, I decided to step up to him and, and stop him from beating my mother. And what he did was he just beat the shit out of me. Sorry, I didn't mean to curse. And then beat my mother even worse just to make a point. So the one thing I would never, ever do is hurt a woman because I didn't want to be like him. So the relationships I got into were not healthy. <laughs> the women I would date were either extremes of my mother. They were either suffocating codependent women who were very needy and just gave me all the love that I didn't get from my mother. Or they were ice princess, okay? Which basically represented my mother because she never was there emotionally for me. So of course I would be attracted to women who weren't emotionally available to me either. This continued for quite some time and it never worked out. You know, these women were never women that, the, the, the women who were ice princess eventually cheated on me, you know, with my friends, family, whatever. And the women who were codependent, you know, eventually they just got to be too much. I, I, they just be, tried to be like, it was just too much. And um, and then I started to, 
I, what I then started doing was I decided, well, you know, I can't pick these women, so I'll let the women pick me. So any woman that showed any attention toward me at all, it didn't matter if I liked them or not, but if they liked me, that was good enough because maybe they would stay around. And of course, they didn't. I was a drunk. I was promiscuous, you know, and I wasn't emotionally available. So they would move on. Eventually, life got really bad. I became homeless and a whole bunch of other stuff happened, you know, um, you know, because I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> so um, eventually I got to the point where a woman who I was in very much in love with, um, she had enough of me drinking and drugging, you know, and um, she left me. But she didn't just leave me because I'm I was used to people leaving me. But she did it in such a dramatic fashion that it it just I couldn't couldn't walk away from it. Um, she left me for a married man who had five kids. And this married man with five kids caught his own wife cheating on him with somebody. So in front of his wife and his five kids, he took a gun, stuck it to his head, and said, if you don't take me back, I'm going to shoot myself. And his wife said, go ahead and shoot yourself. And the guy pulled the trigger and shot himself in the head. And he lived. And when he got out of the hospital, the woman I was loved with decided that she could do better with that guy than with me. And that kind of, kind of, <laughs> I kind of thought about that for a second. <laughs> I'm like, if she thought she could do better with this guy, then maybe I do have a problem. But I didn't get that right away. I continued to drink and drug for another year until my job said, you know, Bill, we had enough of you. And then eventually I went to an AA meeting. You know, and I struggled through AA. I'm not going to go into the details. But eventually I figured out that, you know, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Let's do the work. Because maybe I'll feel better if I do the work. So I got sober. You know, I did step work the whole nine yards. But there was still a problem. I didn't know how to have healthy relationships with anyone. One of the things I, I did was when I was growing up was I needed to protect myself. So I built a wall around myself. And that wall was to, you don't show feelings, you don't show emotions, you don't show fear, you don't show anything. You don't give anyone anything. You don't tell anyone anything. You don't, you, I, it was always about, if someone wanted to know anything about me, I would deflect it and then basically turn it back on them. And what I used to do also is because I used to always think, well, I know how to keep people in my life. I know how to get people not to abandon me anymore. And the way I could do that is I find broken, damaged people. And what I do is I try to fix them. Because if I fix them, they need me. And if they need me, they won't leave me. And that's what I did. I spent all my time fixing people. Not myself. Others. And you know what happens after you fix a person? And that's all the relationship's about? They move on. So guess what I was doing? I was repeating the very thing I was trying to avoid from my childhood. I was creating situations where people would abandon me. I didn't even realize it. So... I get to, I don't know how to do relationships because I don't know how to just be with people. All I know is how to protect myself 
and try to keep people to stay, try to control people to be in my life. Because I thought if I could, one of the things I'm, I'm a control freak, I'm a control freak. And one of the things I thought if I could control everything around me, then no one could hurt me. Nothing could hurt me. But you know what? People don't like being controlled. <laughs> they don't. Go figure, right? I didn't know that, but I was trying to protect myself because if I can control what you're doing, then you can't hurt me. But they did hurt me because once again, what did I do? I recreated the abandonment all over again. I'm always there for you. You call me up at whatever. If whatever the problem is, I'm there for you. I will drop whatever I'm doing to be there for you, to be by your side, to hold your hand, whatever it is. I'm there for you. So I was abandoning my own self to be with other people that would eventually abandon me also. That was what's going on. So I just said, well, you know what? After a certain point, I started feeling miserable in AA. Go figure, right? Because, you know, all I was was sober. I was, I was physically sober, and I would say I was spiritually sober. But emotionally, I was still a wreck. So I was like, okay, I can't, I'm not having any help. I'm not having, I, ha I had like a thousand people who knew me, but no one knew me. They knew of me. They knew who I was, but they had no idea what I liked. They had no idea what I, th what I thought was fun. So I decided to go to Al-Anon because I was told that's where you learn about relationships. So I go to Al-Anon and what I realized was Al-Anon is about one thing, how to deal with alcoholics or people who were addicted. But my problem wasn't just with people who were, it was, my problem was with everyone. <laughs> I had problems at work. I had problems with my friends. I had problems with my associates. I didn't know how to relate to anyone. So I realized fumbling around in, in Al-Anon, that wasn't working out. So I decided, well, you know, and one of the other things that happened because of all the stuff that happened to me in my childhood, one of the things that occurs to those individuals who go through all that, you become very, um, promiscuous in the sense that you become very, you're a flirt. You're, you become a flirt. And I was a flirt. So what was happening was I was flirting with all these women and they would get the wrong message, but I didn't know how to, other, how to act any other way. I just thought that's how you acted. So I realized that was causing me problems with the women in my life because they were confused by what I was doing, you know? And I realized what I was doing was just backfiring on me. Uh, I got to be, I, I, I was called, people started calling me a predator, even though I didn't, was trying to sleep with women, I just didn't know how else to react to women. And that started causing me a problem, which is one of the reasons I'm with Al-Anon also. So my life was miserable. You know, here I was sober, I was sober all these years, and I was in more emotional pain than ever before, because now I didn't have the alcohol and drugs to deaden the pain. And I had gotten to a point where I was like, I'm, I'm giving up. I can't do this anymore. Okay, if this is what my life is going to be like, I, I might as well start drinking and drugging. And I was at my my end of, you know, I was I was done, you know, and I was, and you know, I said, let me let me just call my sponsor and tell him what's going on. And my sponsor just happened to show up. And I said, listen, I said, listen, I got to talk to you. So we went out for a meeting. We found a bench, and I just started telling them what was happening in my life about all the things that were going on outside of alcoholism. And he listened to me. And he listened to me. He goes. Bill, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you read something. I said, sure. And he said, um, 
It's called The Laundry List. <laughs> so I read The Laundry List and I was like, the hell? <laughs> you know, I I remember I took the a, the test to be if, if I'm an alcoholic and I I passed, but I did even better with the laundry list. <laughs> so I was like, well, why 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 didn't you tell me about this earlier? You know, like I'm suffering here and you didn't tell me about this. And he goes, you weren't ready yet. And I was like, okay, fine. So I start doing the laundry list. Okay. So, you know, so he's, I, I, I mentioned this to him on a Sunday and he, and by Tuesday I had my first ACA meeting. Now before Al-Anon took me 10 years to get to an Al-Anon meeting, <laughs> but it took me two days to get to an ACA meeting. So the first meeting, of course, I went to was Tuesday toolbox. So I walk in there and I sit down. And I hear all these people, you know, they're, they're telling about their childhood. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys are talking about this stuff out loud to other people? <laughs> I thought like, like, we were supposed to talk about that stuff, especially to other people. You know, so I listened to them and I listened to them. And then I, I started feeling comfortable. And I started sharing, you know, and something incredible happened. I started talking about my childhood about the things that happened to me and it hit me it just hit me so hard and i started blubbering you know not just tearing up but that open mouth sobbing hiccuping snot dripping out of your nose crying and i'm sitting there sobbing and everyone's quiet no one said a word they just let me cry and it suddenly dawned on me you know my childhood was a shit show I had, I should not have gone through that. And, you know, I was, I realized it was okay to mourn what happened to me, not to ignore it, not to shove it down, not to, to box into a little box in the corner, but it was okay to realize that that was a horrible thing that happened to me, you know? And, you know, I, 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 I mourned the abuse, the neglect, you know, the emotional trauma. I, I cried. And that was the beginning of the end of my isolation. That was the end of that cage that I had built around myself to protect myself against harm. It started coming down because all the people in that room understood what happened to me. And I realized I was, I'm not going to say with my people, but I was with my people. <laughs> I was with my fellow travelers who understood what I had been through, understood what was going on. So now I'm in all in okay but i still didn't quite get it because you guys are talking about reparenting yourself what the hell are you guys talking about reparenting yourself what are you guys talking what am i a cult what are you, what are you? so like you know okay okay i got it okay i got it i know how to reparent myself so i decided I'll, i was going to reparent myself I'll, I'll listen to that voice in my head and that'll be the my my loving my loving parent stupid silly me that wasn't my loving parent that was my critical parent. That was my mom. The only advice she would ever give me was when I screwed up. If I did something wrong, she would give me advice such as, don't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. She never gave me love when I did something right. She never gave, she never rewarded me. She only punished me. So that was the parent in my head, the parent, the punishing parent. And I tried to reparent myself with the punishing parent. And that just does not work. 
As a matter of fact, it it does more damage than good. So I sat back and I was like, okay, so so what is the loving parent? I don't have an idea. Then it dawned on me. I have a son. Doesn't live with me, lives in Australia. <laughs> okay. But I realized I was trying to parent him the same way I was parent. Okay. Like one day I said, listen, I said my twice son, I said, listen, if, if you get straight B's, I'll come visit you in Australia. And he didn't get straight B's. And I said, well, you didn't get straight B's, so I'm not going to come visit you. And he just screamed and then ran out in the yard and started sobbing and crying. And his mother got on the phone and said, what the hell did you say to your son? And I said, well, I was trying to encourage him. And she was like, you idiot. You don't do that. But I didn't know. That's how I was taught. And she said, I said, well, let me let me talk to him and I'll fix it. She goes, no, you're not talking to him. And he hung the phone up. And I was like, okay. And then I said, okay, well, let's listen. So maybe it's something else. So what I did over the next couple of years is I said, you know, Bill, what you should do is love him, encourage him, be there for him. Always tell him he's doing good no matter what it is. And don't complain to him and, and always reward him for when he does something well. And then I realized that's how I reparent myself. That's my loving parent. It's not punishing, it's encouraging. It's always there for me to help me, okay? When I'm in trouble, you know, I just say, you know, help me to my loving parent. And I listened and that voice started coming forward because it was always there, but it was just being over, the critical voices overwhelming the, the loving voice. And I start learning how to love and I, and I learned how to do that by loving my son and loving my son and learn how to love myself. So now it's like, so who's in control? Well, you know who was in control? My inner teen. Because my inner teen was the one that was protecting my inner child. Always protecting me because I didn't have an older brother. So I had an inner teen always looking out for me the whole nine yards. Again, you know, you guys are talking mumble jumble, but you know, I figured it out. So I realized, you know, what, when did my inner teen come out? And I realized my inner teen always came out when my inner child was, af was, a, was afraid, was scared, was, was whatever, was, was, was angry. And I realized, so when does that happen? And I realized I could, when I get triggered, I feel it in the small of my back. The small of my back tightens up. And that's my inner child letting me know they're scared or whatever. And I start learning to listen to my body. Because my, my body tensed up, I realized that was something going on that was a trigger from my childhood. And if I have the opportunity, I would stop and pause and say, well, what's going on right now that reminds me of something that bad that happened to me as a kid? Let's drill down and figure that out. And I would look at it and look at it and then figure, oh, yeah, 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 I know what this is about. I remember that time that, you know, I said something or other and I came home and they yelled at me and stuff like that or whatever. And when I started to realize that's what that was, I started paying attention to it. And I learned, you know, how to avoid those triggers. I learned what not to do and how not to do it. Or I learned to avoid those situations that would trigger me. And eventually what I started telling my inner child, you're all right, you're safe, 
that stuff is not going on now. That's stuff that happened a long time ago. And we have choices now. We can make other choices. We don't have to do this. We can do something else. And in doing that, I noticed a lot of things started to change. You know, I wasn't finding myself in situations that were trauma-oriented, drama-oriented, or any situation that would basically put me in a trigger situation. And that was good. So I slowly but surely started to take care of myself. So after listening to my body, I started saying to myself, how can I do better? And what I realized is, who am I? I had no idea who I was. I had an idea of who I turned myself, what kind of pretzel I turned myself into to try to please everyone else so they wouldn't abandon me. But personally, I had no clue. You know, I had all these rules and regulations of how to live my life, you know. Uh, before you, you know, I when you talk to a girl, I only say three sentences to her and then leave. Don't look her in the eye too long. I had all these stupid little rules that I lived to figure out how to 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 be with people. <laughs> that's all that's where I was. Okay. So I said, you know, Phil, you know, let's let's figure this out. So I'm I'm gonna read something. Because I'm I'm doing the workbooks, and one of the workbooks did was they they asked me to look at the 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 uh, the twelve steps of ACA, and based on that, I learned to figure out who I want to be. So I'm just gonna read this to you because this is something I learned for myself. Uh, one, I will discover my real identity by loving, accepting my true self. Two, my self-esteem will increase as I no longer seek outside approval. Three, I will no longer see approve, seek approval from authority figures for my self-worth. Four, I will no longer fear allowing people to know my truth, my fear, and my weaknesses. Five, by embracing and understanding my own abandonment issues, I will become whole and be attracted to others who are the same. Six, I will seek acceptance with who I am and where I am now and how I am doing right now, right here. I will accept that because that's who I am. Seven, I will allow myself to be playful with those I trust and feel safe. My inner child start coming out. I realize my inner child comes out because I get silly and goofy and, and I, like almost like we live in my childhood. Eight. I will develop an inner circle of people. I will let in and help me succeed and support me in my time of need. No more self-isolation. I selfishly was keeping my friends who love and care for me out. My friends always were upset with me. They were like, Bill, you know, you won't let me in. They would literally say to me, you won't let me in. And I realized I was being selfish. These are people who cared about me, who loved me, who wanted me to do well, but I wouldn't tell them what was going on in my life because that's making me vulnerable if I tell you what's going on and you can use that against me and hurt me. But these are my friends. They're not there to hurt me. They're there to help me, to support me, to encourage me, and to cherish my wins. Okay, nine. I will accept people for who they are now, not who I want them to be, 
this is will stop me from fixing them and simply accept them. 10, I need to be willing to not be afraid of success. I was afraid of success. You know why I was afraid of success? Because I felt that if, if you got jealous of me, you wouldn't want to be around me. Okay? My truth is to be my own self, not avoid because I do not want to wish to be abandoned. My truth, well, let me re 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 read this again. I need to be willing to not be afraid of success. My truth is to be my own self, not avoid because I do not wish to be abandoned. My true friends will celebrate my success. Eh. As you could tell, I just wrote this down freestyle. <laughs> the syntax and everything else is not quite right. 11. I will drill down to my childhood traumas and their cause and effect. And with my fellow travelers, free myself from my self-imposed wall of protective behaviors against from others, against harm from others that applied as a child, worked as a child, but does not work as an adult. Okay. And 12, I will no longer feel failure or expect it, nor will I self-sabotage in an attempt to control the damage of the failure, I believe, I foresee, believe to foresee will happen. Instead, I will expect only the best and believe that any stumble is a learning experience to help me grow. And that's what I decided to use to figure out who I am, my true self. So once I started doing that, I got to a point where life was good. And what I mean by life is good, I mean, I have a circle of friends who I care about. My relationship with women totally changed. Suddenly, it was something very interesting happened. When I dealt with all my childhood trauma and all that crap that happened, my behavior like that. I don't, when I talk to women, I'm going to be kind of not blunt, but to the point, I don't see them as people that hurt me or anything else. They're people. They're just people I'm talking to. There's no connection. There's no overwhelming, you know, thing going on. There's just someone else I'm talking to that I'm trying to get to know. That's it. Just someone else I'm trying to get to know. There's no sexual connection or anything like that. It's just like I'm talking to one of the guys. That was amazing. I didn't know how to do that at all. Okay. So what I've learned also is that I'm no longer attracted to women who are damaged. I used to be tracked like a bee to honey, okay? I'm no longer interested in codependent women. I'm no longer interested in dependent women. What I'm interested in now in all my relationships, work, friends, acquaintances, people in my life who are, you know, are people who are interindependent so that we can have an interdependent life. You do you, I do me, and we do things together that we both want to do took me a long time to learn that okay and what i do now and what i was doing basically was just repeating my mother's stuff okay <laughs> I, had to finally, I finally had to realize that my mother had done damage even though i didn't want to admit that when i finally admitted that things started to change so finally maintenance how do i continue to maintain this space in my life where i'm comfortable in my own skin 
so what I do is I do my 10 step inventory. I'm going to share that with you. Okay. I apologize. You know, this is why I do. <laughs> okay. Um, my 10 step inventory is basically my morning affirmations. Well, my morning affirmations, I read all 12 of them to you. So those are my morning affirmations. Who, why, who am I? Who do I want to be? Those are my morning affirmations. Um, the laundry list traits. Okay. What I do is I pick the laundry list trait of the month. And I repeat that to myself and focus on that. And at the end of the month, I look at that and say, how is this affecting me? What have I learned from it? So forth and so on. So that's what I also do. Um, you see now, uh, I also do, okay. One of the things I also do is on the laundry list, um, for instance, I do uh, something else with laundry list. The laundry list right now, the uh, number nine for the laundry list is we confuse love with pity and tend to love people who we can pity and rescue. The flip side of that, I also repeat to myself. The flip side of the laundry list is we are able to distinguish love from pity and we do not think rescuing people we pity is an act of love. Okay. And then I do the flip side of the other side of the laundry list, which is today, this month nine. We have compassion for anyone who is trapped in the drama triangle and is desperately searching for a way out insanity. That's one of the things I do to help ground me every day in my ACA program. So I didn't quite go 45 minutes. <laughs> but see what's going on right now? I have the ability to laugh. I have the ability to be okay with myself. I have the ability to actually have people in my life that I don't need to control, that they don't need to have be fixed. As a matter of fact, one of the things I've learned in ACA is I've learned to simply listen. Because sometimes that's all people want. They want someone to listen to them. And then what I do is I say, listen, um, I don't say listen. I say, do you want me to comment on what you just shared with me? No? Okay. Yes? I'll t and when I say yes, when I say yes, I tell them about the experience that happened with me and how I dealt with it from personal experience. Not my suggestion of what they should do, but what I did in something similar. So my name is Bill. I am a grateful. I, I I'm, this has changed my life for the better. It was not easy. It was hard. But the payoff was enormous. And I will never, ever, eh, I'm not going to say that. Thank you. <laughs> Gretchen, all yours. <laughs>